Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. Buddhang damang sanghang namasami. As most of you know, I assented Chita and I and, and Sister Chitananda, um, MRC, <laughs> are going to go teach a retreat. We're going to leave in a couple days. And I wasn't part of selecting the topic for the retreat, but I really li- I like the title. Um, it's The Middle Way, and then there's a subtitle, uh, Finding Our Natural Resting Place. And I'm kind of intrigued by that. What does it mean for us to be in our natural resting place? What is it like when the mind is at rest? Did that happen today? And if so, when? How does it come about? So in thinking about this, I've been kind of on the lookout for things that the Buddha taught that would help us develop that ability for the mind to rest. And, of course, the the, uh, ultimate resting of the mind is Nibbana, is complete peace, contentment. There's nothing that we want and nothing we want to get rid of. So how do we develop the mind? What do we cultivate? How do we learn? How to make ourselves um, ready for that? Or develop the mind in a way that we can go into that resting place more at will. There's a passage here in the middle-length discourses that I found very interesting in considering this. And it's um, working with the word, the Pali word, aditana. When I pulled this version, this particular book off the shelf, I found this bookmark in it that says Aditana resolution <laughs> and I got this same bookmark once in Thailand many years ago now and it was I, I was given to me actually because um, I was interested in this concept this word means resolution resolve the monks when I 
when I was told about this word and what it means and how to use it, the monks talked about making an aditana to pick up a particular kind of practice, maybe for the three-month rains retreat. And they said it's not like a usual kind of vow or promise or resolution. It's stronger than that. You really make up your mind, this is what you're going to do. You really, really hold it full. says here, just as a mountain stands immobile and firm, even in strong winds, and is impossible to throw over in a storm, so perfect resolution consists in remaining unshakable in one's wholesome determinations and not be distracted by anything. This particular discourse of the Buddhas is called the Datu Vibhanga Sutta. Datu is the word for elements, so it's coming down to very fundamental pieces. Vibhanga is exposition. And the Buddha in here is talking to a monk who was once a king before he decided to shave off his hair and beard and put on yellow robes. And he did that out of faith in the Buddha. But he had never met the Buddha. He'd only heard about his teachings. And the Buddha knew about this through his psychic power and decided he would go to where this monk was and meet him without telling him who he was, without looking so much like the Buddha that <laughs> this monk would know right away. And it's a really sweet story um, as, as uh, they meet and the Buddha asks this monk various questions. And then he gives this teaching. I'm not going to give it all. I'm going to just kind of jump to this part where the Buddha says one should not neglect wisdom, should preserve truth, should cultivate relinquishment, and should train for peace. And he uses this word aditana with every one of those qualities. So it's the wisdom aditana, the truth aditana, the relinquishment aditana, the peace aditana. So it's being resolved on wisdom, on truth, on relinquishment, and on peace. And that word, like so many Pali words, is, their meaning is very rich. You can't really translate it with one word. It has this... Um, way when it comes in combination with other words like this forming compounds it's it's really being bent upon this quality being bent upon peace being bent upon wisdom and so on and it also has within it this idea of a foundation so 
here the Buddha is saying that these are the foundations that we have as we awaken. He said, these are the foundations of the Arahant, the fully awakened mind. You let go of all kinds of other things. Nothing in the world is worth clinging to. You let go go of this sense of me and mine, but one can rely on wisdom and truth and letting go, relinquishment, and peace. So when I, when I reflect upon the times when I feel like my mind is at rest, oftentimes that comes unexpectedly. And it can come at a time when there's been some kind of letting go. It can come at a time when wisdom comes through, maybe after a confusing time, not knowing what to do. It can come at a time when somebody really nails the truth, speaks the truth. And there are probably other ways too, but as I look at these four bent upon these, there's so much here that can help us develop and kind of give us these glimpses into what it's like to have a completely contented, peaceful mind. So, as in so many discourses, the Buddha here says this first. There's this, do not neglect wisdom, preserve truth, cultivate relinquishment, and train for peace. And then he describes what he means by that. So, to not neglect wisdom, he said, there are these six elements. The earth element, the water element, the fire element, the air element, the space element, and the consciousness element. And he says the way to not neglect wisdom is to really look at these elements within one's own body and external to one's own body. So he talks about the earth element in the body as anything solid that can be clung to like our hair on our head or our body, our nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, and anything else that's solid in the body that we think belongs to us. He says this is the internal earth element, and it's exactly like the external earth element, giving us this opportunity to reflect on the true nature of this body. 
says when one sees it exactly as it actually is with proper wisdom, one becomes disenchanted with the earth element and makes the mind dispassionate towards the earth element. And then he talks about the water element. So anything watery that we cling to in the body, like our own bile and phlegm and pus and blood and sweat and fat and tears and grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, urine. Do you ever think you cling to your urine? <laughs> but of course, if it's not working, there's a lot of concern. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. Then comes the disenchantment, the dispassion towards the earth element, which is exactly the same externally as internally. The fire element in the body is that by which we are warmed, ages and is consumed that by which what is eaten, drunk, consumed, and tasted gets completely digested, and whatever else internally that's fiery, that's the internal fire element, just like the external fire element. It's not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. Seeing it with proper wisdom, we become disenchanted and dispassionate towards the fire element. The air element is the upgoing winds, the downgoing winds, the winds in the belly and in the bowels, winds that course through the limbs and breath, the in-breath and the out-breath. That's the internal element, just like the external element. It's not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. Can you imagine what the space element is? The holes in the ears and the nostrils, the door of the mouth. The aperture whereby what is eaten, drunk, consumed, and tasted gets swallowed and where it collects and whereby it is excreted from below and whatever else internally belonging to oneself is space, spatial, and clung to. Never thought of clinging to the holes in my ears, but boy, again, if that wasn't working, <laughs> I'd probably notice. Um, and then the consciousness. So then there remains this consciousness, purified and bright. What does one cognize with that consciousness? This is pleasant. One cognizes this is painful. Or this is neither painful nor pleasant. And there's a feeling that arises with that pleasant thing. And with a cessation of that pleasant 
thing, so the feeling goes away too. It's dependent upon the contact. And it's the same with what's painful and what's neither pleasant or painful. And then this way of not neglecting wisdom, one reflects, well, with the cessation of this feeling, then when the contact ceases, that sensation of feeling ceases. The Buddha says, just like you're rubbing two sticks together to create a fire and produces heat, but as soon as those sticks aren't rubbed together anymore, the heat goes away. It's the same way with this pleasant feeling, painful feeling. Neither pleasant or painful. Whatever causes it, whatever brings it about, once that goes away, it's gone. Then he says, there remains only equanimity, purified, bright, malleable, wieldly, and radiant. And we can use that equanimity, directing the mind towards deeper meditation. And when you feel a pleasant feeling, one understands it's impermanent. There's no holding on to it. There's no delight in it. And the same with the painful feeling and the neither painful or pleasant feeling. You feel that pleasant feeling, painful feeling, or neither pleasant or painful feeling detached. He said, you might know this feeling is going to end when the body ends. Or this feeling is going to end when life ends. And that on the dissolution of the body, with the ending of life, all that is felt, not being delighted in, will become cool right here. And basically what that means is, then there's nibbana. There's no more desire, agitation worry, fear. There's peace, rest. And ultimately the knowledge of the destruction of all suffering. So he said that's what it means to not neglect wisdom. And what does it mean to preserve truth? Well, ultimately, he said, the truth, the ultimate truth is Nibbana, which is completely undeceptive. But he also talks about the preservation of truth in another discourse, where he says, if you have a belief based on faith, instead of saying, that's how it is, you say, 
I believe this based on faith. And so with all other kinds of things, if you have a if you believe something based on being told, you say, I was told this, rather than this is how it is. Mm-hmm. Being very careful with what we really know to be true through our direct experience, preserving truth. And then the Buddha talked about relinquishment. And he said that before we have complete wisdom, we take in all kinds of things. We take in all kinds of material things, physical things. We, we assume a body and all that goes with it. Feeling, consciousness, mental activity, perception. We take on and acquire defilements, greed, hatred, delusion. And we take on habits, mental entanglements, and the five chords of sensual pleasure, those things that we are drawn to, that we wish for, that we desire, that we enjoy. But once we start to develop wisdom, we start letting things go and we experience a much deeper peace in that. This is how relinquishment helps us come to peace. He said that when, when we're ignorant, we experience being covetous. We have desire and lust. But when we abandon those and cut them off at the root and do away with them so that there's no more further arising, and we do the same with anger, ill will, and hatred, ignorance and delusion, that's when we have the supreme foundation of peace. So how can we do this in daily life? One good question to ask ourselves is, do I even want to do that? Wouldn't it be easier to just enjoy the five chords of sensual pleasure and so on and so on? But of course at some point we start to recognize, at least if we 
pick up the path is that always underlying these things there's disappointment, suffering. And we have this opportunity, maybe inch by inch, to develop this wisdom, to let go little by little. And I think everything counts. Someone was telling me that when she let go of her sofa, she didn't think that really counted. She was just making a decision to not have those kinds of things anymore. But there's a lightness that comes. It doesn't mean we have to live without sofas necessarily, but it's part of our opportunity to practice to see, you know, really how do I feel about that sofa? Is that going to be something I'll care about if a fire sweeps through? I know someone whose house burned down one day while they were at the beach. Very nice big house in the Oakland Hills. And she and her husband said that it was the greatest thing that happened to them. All of his books went, and he said that's when he really started writing. Because before that, he was just constantly looking things up. <laughs> she said all the things that, you know, all the, the, the memorabilia, all of the stuff they were saving, just completely cleared out her life and gave her a chance to really find something she wanted to do. And so when we, when we think about these qualities, I think we can take steps every day if we, if we feel so inclined. And the more we see the benefits, the more inclined we become to really look at what am I clinging to? How does it feel? Can I let that go? What does that feel like? All these practices that I read about for wisdom, thinking about the body, thinking about the parts of the body, how would I feel if that doesn't work anymore? Can I let that go? Can I see this body for its true nature? My mom passed away recently, as many of you know, and I was taking care of her. Um, and there were many days of just being by her, by her bedside. And as she went into coma and she was in coma, there were some days where she like at least four days where she was extremely peaceful. And it gave me a chance to really meditate. Meditate on her body and how it was deteriorating. It had gotten so thin, just skin and bones, really. 
what was happening with her elements beginning to return earth to earth, water to water fire going low, she didn't eat anymore didn't drink anymore the air, the irregularity of her breathing and how that body that gave so much to me, that's just like my body same thing going the same way and what's so surprising about this kind of reflection where you think that's depressing (laughs) it's not at all there's something so freeing and deeply peaceful about being with the way things actually are She left this life without any regrets. There was no one she still wanted to see or nothing she had to finish. I'd like to do that. And I think what's, what's really important to realize is that we can, all of us, regardless of what has gone before. We have this beautiful opportunity while we're still alive to really practice and let go to bring so much love into the heart and into our lives and into our relationships that the the negativity and the judgments and the regrets fall away I loved the way my mom in the last months, even years, had such selective memory. Like she would remember her father-in-law and say, yeah, I'm glad we never had, he wasn't very nice, but I'm glad we never had any trouble. And I just would like, oh, wow. (laughs) I couldn't believe that was, uh, wow, she remembered it. (laughs) But in a way, it it was great. I mean, I know that when he was old, um, he was in the nursing home where she was a volunteer, and she took care of him. And I think just over time with, with practice and reflection, she used to practice metta meditation a lot. You know, all that pain and suffering and friction, and it just... It just all evaporated into kindness. Mm. Being 
inclined towards or bent upon peace. What a beautiful thought. Knowing that whatever is still unpeaceful in us can be resolved. Even if we feel like there's something left hanging and now the person's gone, we don't need them to resolve it. We can do that inside. We can do that in consciousness. In order to preserve truth, I'll say that this is something I believe. I believe that we can still say we're sorry. I believe that it can still be heard. The great thing about the middle way is that the benefits come as we go along. It's not just some um, oh, I, I, I imagine and I hear that it is quite grand when the final shoe drops, you might say, and, and there is this awakening. But I know that we can that we gain along the way. It gets better and better. What a what a beautiful path. And even though the Buddha gave these in this particular discourse gave these um instructions for not neglecting wisdom, developing wisdom, preserving truth, letting go, and training for peace. He also gave a lot of other instructions that would bring about the same result. So I think it's useful to look into these different ways that he described things and different methods that he gave. There's a monk I spent some time with in Thailand who was um, old and had been there for a long time, 40 years in the monastery, very wise. And he said the Buddha was all about method. So if one method doesn't feel like it's, it's working, there is another one to find. And we can be persistent without being pressured, I would say. Even though at a time, you know, going for it <laughs> with, with all our effort, has its value, but it's also important to use wisdom and know how much to push and how much to rest. I think I'll just close with that.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.